Bill Penson, a former Baptist pastor and executive from, from Texas, once remarked, the measure of an experience is not how high you get, but in how straight you walk when you hit the ground. He was not talking about legalizing marijuana. He was addressing college students concerning the spiritual gifts. As so often happens in talking about spiritual gifts, one gift in particular, tongues, gets a lot of attention. That being the case, I thought I would start with that, get that out of the way so we can get on with some other things. Uh, I suppose that his emphasis on spiritual gifts should not have surprised me because even in the Corinthian church, tongues had become a problem. Or more correctly, some of the church members who claimed to be superior to the others because they had a particular gift, tongues, and it had become a contentious matter even in the fellowship of the church. In my study of uh, tongues, which has been rather extensive, I grew up on my mother's side with uh, a grandmother and aunts who were members of a United Pentecostal church. So whenever we visited them, we would attend the Pentecostal church and I was sometimes surprised at the direction this worship service took. When I was a young Marine, I met with other Marines who had claimed to have a gift of tongues and not wanting to miss out on anything that God had for me, I talked with them about what this was all about and they coached me in speaking gibberish to prime the pump so that the Holy Spirit could eventually take over and provide a gift of tongues which seemed a little odd to me that the Holy Spirit needed that kind of help. Nevertheless, because of this background, uh, I made the study of spiritual gifts the focus of my doctoral work. So I've, I think I know quite a bit about spiritual gifts. I may be fooling myself, but nevertheless, this morning, Kristen asked me, do you need anything? And I said, yes, a better sermon. <laughs> and she said, well, use what you got. <laughs> no, she didn't. She said, I'm sure whatever you're going to say is going to be fine. That's Kristen. She's an encourager.
But here's what I have discovered. Uh, the matter of tongues comes in, in a couple of varieties. On the one hand, there does appear to be a gift of tongues. That is, the speaker has not learned a language, but speaks in a language that the hearers understand. This was classically the case in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. I have heard, though it hasn't been verified, I have heard of instances on the mission field where this has happened. Um, and as I say, uh, this is only hearsay, but I don't doubt it. It certainly could happen. The Holy Spirit is, after all, God. The second variety of tongues seems to be what many call a prayer language. There are times when what is inside is, is too deep, it's too painful, or, or it's too ecstatic to be contained in words. Like when Patrick Mahomes, not Henry, when Patrick Mahomes flicks a no-look pass to Travis Kelsey for a touchdown, you should hear Connie. <laughs> she whoops and hollers. She, she doesn't need words. She doesn't have words. It's beyond verbal expression. There are times when our burdens are too deep to be contained in words. And there are people who use this tongues, this prayer language, to get out what is inside. Uh, I do not practice this, although I have attempted to from time to time, and there are occasions when in my prayers I simply say, oh God, because I don't know what else to say. And God hears, I believe, what is inside that I can't verbalize. So with all, with all of that said, let's move on to other things. The word for grace in the language of the New Testament is charis. What we read as spiritual gift in the scriptures is the word charisma, literally a grace gift. The plural charismata is the root of our word charismatic, which is used in a secular sense when it describes a person with uh, this enveloping personality that has the ability to draw people to himself or herself as this charismatic personality. But it's also used, of course, in a religious sense to indicate the spiritual gifts. A Methodist theologian, Kenneth Kinghorn, says that gifts often uh, that churches, rather, often fall into a couple of categories. Some exhibit what he calls 
charismania because of their fascination with spiritual gifts. While other churches, Baptist churches, would typically fall into the category of charisphobies, charisphobia, because of our ignoring spiritual gifts or even fearing spiritual gifts. What we want to do is allow the Holy Spirit to guide us into an appropriate spiritual understanding and use of spiritual gifts to strengthen what God intends to do in and through First Baptist Church of Waynesboro. The New Testament mentions 20 specific spiritual gifts, although I'm quite sure that through the years as needs and challenges and opportunities have expanded, so have the spiritual gifts God gives. For example, I am quite sure that the Holy Spirit bestows a gift of computer language to some. To me, it ranks as an unknown tongue, this computer language. But spiritual gifts are divine enablings that create proficiencies in certain areas and are used for the benefit of the church. In fact, they are given to the church through the individuals who possess them. In the Bible and in this chapter, several gifts are mentioned. Prophecy, which we might call a, a foretelling, not a foretelling as in the Old Testament, but someone who speaks and it is as though God himself were offering these words, a foretelling, uh, the awareness on the part of the hearer that this is indeed what God would be saying. Apostleship, which might correspond to, generally speaking, a missionary or a denominational executive. Evangelism, giving, teaching, leadership, service, exhortation, mercy, wisdom, knowledge, faith, discernment, helps, administration, shepherding, miracles and healings, tongues and interpretation are all mentioned. Some scholars include another gift, martyrdom, to me, it seems that it's a departure from the other gifts that are used ongoing. Martyrdom would be a gift you use only once. From the scriptures, we discern certain principles that will guide us in the use of our spiritual gifts. And they would include, one, God is the source of all spiritual gifts, and they are given to the church through the individual members who possess them. They're given by the Spirit, second, at God's discretion as manifestations of God's grace. 
we can neither earn them nor beg God out of them. They are given by God at God's discretion. Three, every Christian has been given a gift or gifts. No one is omitted. No one is neglected. No one is forgotten. They are given by God to his people. For it is God's will that every Christian use his or her gifts in ministry and service to build up and strengthen the church. Fifth, to the degree that a gift is withheld or not used, the vitality of the church is diminished. Six, it is God's plan that his purposes in the world be accomplished through the church, a church strengthened through the spiritual gifts he has given. And finally, we discover our spiritual gifts as we serve. The Spirit nudges us, as it were, in the directions that provide effective service and spiritual satisfaction. How fortuitous that our deacons have organized their ministry surrounding spiritual gifts. Not only the gifts of our deacons, but taking into account the spiritual gifts of the congregation that we all together might be involved in this, this ministry of building up one another and caring for one another according to God's purpose. Now you will notice in this folder, which incidentally, Kristen designed. She has a gift of brochure designing. But I think it's really well done. But you will notice here seven categories, and you have the opportunity to put a check in one or more of those boxes indicating that you will help our church by participating in that particular ministry overseen by the deacons. Connections, staying connected to each other, caring for one another, grief support, homebound, hospital care. <clears throat> I've always wanted to do surgery on people. So I might sign up for that one. Or I, I think maybe that's not what it means. Meals, prayer, small jobs, rides. We are hoping and praying that you will indicate one or more of these as something you will help with using your gifts. And you may say, but... I don't have the spiritual gift of giving rides to people. Okay, uh, maybe you don't have a driver's license, so maybe the Spirit wouldn't call you to use that gift. 
But whatever gift you do have, use that gift or those gifts to help with the caring for and building up of our church. Paul concludes this chapter by mentioning some of the gifts, additional gifts, and then listen how he concludes. Now remember, he has been saying that the church has not been acting wisely because it's allowing church members to take each other to court. Where's somebody with wisdom who will say, let's talk about this and reach a conclusion without going to court? Or where are those with knowledge? He's been talking about giving. Where are those with giving? Or he mentions faith as a gift. So this is how he concludes chapter 12. And I will show you the most excellent way. And then begins chapter 13, which we typically call the love chapter, which is right smack in the middle of a chapter 12 and a chapter 14 that deals with spiritual gifts. So right in the middle, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, a noisemaker. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Or if I have the gift of giving and I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, that's where Some people get the idea of martyrdom. But have not love, I gain nothing. So Paul is saying these gifts are significant. They're important. The Lord places these gifts in the body so the body itself will be strengthened and accomplished to do his will in the world But if we do not have love, they're just noisemakers. 